From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, biologic warfare on uveitis. TNF blockers are, are pretty much the, the biggest player um, probably in the worldwide uh, market for, for biologics and for, for cytokine uh, modulators, certainly. First this. As seen from here, is committed to medical education devoid of hidden industry bias. Dr. Suler reports research support from Abbott and Genentech and prior research support from Centacor. As seen from here, reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month. But the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. Don't get me wrong. Steroids are great, potent, and fast-acting. Steroids are the shock troops of uveitis treatment. But in the war on inflammation, biologic agents are a game-changer. Usable over the long-term, biologic agents interfere with the signals that promote and sustain inflammation. And since these signals are numerous... Biologic agents are numerous and diverse as well. Eric Suler, an expert in ocular inflammation and in biologic agents in particular, reviews a great many of them for us today and concludes in the next podcast. Eric Suler, welcome to A Scene From Here. We're going to discuss biologics. What constitutes a biologic? We use the term biologic to uh, describe, for the most part, a molecule that's isolated from biological sources are produced by recombinant biotechnology methods that's, that's, that's created to target a specific uh, mediator in the uh, inflammatory response, either targeting a cytokine or targeting a cytokine receptor, other sort of specific targets in the immune system as opposed to uh, other drugs like corticosteroids that are more broadly uh, immunosuppressive and, and act on uh, a large number of targets. It's that's that's basically what we define as a biologic. The, the FDA defines a biologic as uh, anything from a vaccine to blood or blood components or gene therapy vectors or uh, any any of those things. But for, for us, we're talking specifically mostly about monoclonal antibodies or similar type molecules that are that are made to act against a specific mediator in the immune response. Aside from biologics, what are the mainstays of treatment for ocular inflammation? Uh, you know, corticosteroids are, are, are the, uh, the the mainstay of, of of our therapeutic armamentarium, and we 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 use them as drops, as in either periocular, intraocular injections, or uh, systemically, orally, or sometimes even intravenously for people who are in bad shape. Uh, and you know, of course, you know, I tell our patients all the time that that in many ways corticosteroids are a perfect drug because they're uh, rapidly, very rapidly effective, uh, very inexpensive, and, and and they work well. But, of course, their long-term use is associated with a large number of side effects, uh, including uh, weight gain and uh, redistribution of body fat and insomnia and irritability, uh, osteoporosis, uh, increased risk of infections, avascular necrosis of bone, uh, hyperlipidemia, hyperglycemia, and a a large number of uh, other side effects. And as I usually 
tell my patients after I've recited that litany. Other than that, they're really quite safe and well-tolerated. But, uh, you know, corticosteroids are what we use when we need to get somebody under control immediately, but then we tend to replace uh, them or in- attempt to replace them with immunosuppressors, which are not as rapidly effective. Most of our immunosuppressors take four to six weeks to take effect, but, but while they are with, they're not without side effects, they, they have side effects that are often not as noticeable uh, to our patients. For example, and they're not typically associated with either weight gain or insomnia or mood changes, uh, which are the most frequent uh, offending side effects that people really don't like about corticosteroids. Uh, and we use drugs like antimetabolites like methotrexate or mycophenolate mofetil, which is also known as Celsept, or azathioprine, which is also known as imuran. Uh, we use uh, calcineurin inhibitors like cyclosporin or tacrolimus. There's a new uh, drug called, coming out called voclosporin, which is uh, supposed to be a TNF, excuse me, not TNF, which is supposed to be a, uh, a calcineurin inhibitor that has less side effects. And I should also note that I was an investigator in the trial that studied that drug, which were sponsored by a company called LuxBio. And I didn't mention that at the outset because I didn't realize we were going to talk about it, but it kind of just came up. So. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that drug's being studied, and they're, they're aiming for an indication in the treatment of uveitis, and, and we'll see, hopefully by ARVO, uh, this year, 2009, whether or not uh, this, the studies indicated that the drug was uh, both effective and well-tolerated. So, uh, but, you know, so calcineurin inhibitors, we use, we use anti-metabolites, like I, like I talked about, and then, uh, you know, there are obviously the biologics, which are, which are coming along and are an increasingly large part of our armamentarium. There, 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 there are drugs known as alkylating agents that we also use on occasion, and they're they're uh, they're very effective uh, drugs, both as anti-inflammatories uh, and and for steroid sparing. But they're uh, probably associated with a higher rate of uh, treatment uh, limiting uh, side effects than, than the other immunosuppressants we commonly use. So, so we tend to, for, for at least most of the time, use them as a as an immunosuppressive of last resort when the calcineurin inhibitors and the anti-metabolites haven't been effective, or in cases where we've got really either severe inflammation or uh, vision-threatening disease, uh, you know, one-eyed patients, things like that. And there are certain disease processes such as serpiginous choroidopathy that, that, that people consider alkylating agents to be standard of care for, but by and large, we, we reserve their use for pretty severe uh, or refractory or, or vision-threatening disease just because of the, some of their side effects. For example, cyclophosphamide causes hemorrhagic cystitis may increase risk of secondary malignancy substantially. Uh, Chlorambucil can cause a you know, pretty profound aplastic anemia if, uh, if, if people get uh, toxic on that, and which takes a while to turn around. Uh, so we, re- we tend to reserve their use, at least in our institution, for pretty uh, severe diseases where other drugs have not been well tolerated. Um, the, the biologics have come along and, and uh, have really become probably our Go to our main go-to option in many of the in the cases that we might have formerly used alkylators on, uh, and at least in our institution, we're we're pretty hesitant to treat a person with a biologic that's been previously exposed to an alkylator, and vice versa, just due to some results in, in studies on Wegener's granulomatosis that indicated a potential increased risk of solid malignancies in people in whom those drugs were used together. So, Eric, to what sorts of ocular inflammation have biologic agents been applied? Well, you know the the principal area in which uh, biologic has been investigated has been in the area of uveitis, intraocular inflammation, obviously. Uh, and there have been a fair amount of studies published. The, the biggest body of literature that exists is on the TNF blockers, uh, infliximab, etanercept, and, and uh, to a lesser extent, adalimumab. Uh, as of this conversation, uh, there, there have been some other uh, published studies on other biologics that I'm sure we'll have opportunity to talk about. But uh, 
but primarily uveitis. There, there have been uh, a few other studies that have been uh, put out there on scleritis and on orbital inflammatory disease, including Graves' ophthalmopathy. And you know, I've seen case reports on so, some biologics being used for other uh, unusual neuroophthalmic or neoplastic uh, ocular diseases. But, uh, but uh, inflammatory diseases and, and primarily uveitis has been the, the main area of interest for, uh, at least for my interest. Uh, and, and most other investigators interested have been published uh, for, for these biologics. What are the immunological or biological targets of these agents? Well, they're, they're, they're variable. I mean, so they're, they're you know, for example, the TNF blockers obviously target a molecule called TNF or tumor necrosis factor alpha, which is an important uh, molecule in the initiation and propagation of the inflammatory response and uh, is, is a pyrogen and is, is, it just, is it sort of has... has diverse effects in, in, in the in, in immune inflammatory response. You know, there are some molecules out there that block specific cytokines or some that block specific cytokine receptors. Uh, so so it's, there, there are a, a great number of uh, targets for of these biologics uh, and you know, growing by the, the day and the week and the month and the year. Let's divide our discussion by immunological target. Let me get you to tell me something about lymphocyte modulators. Yeah, I don't know that there's not a ton to talk about with with uh, with, uh, with those. You know, elemtuzumab, which is one of the uh, antibodies you express interest in talking about, is a uh, antibody, a monoclonal antibody against the CD52 uh, molecule, which is expressed on all uh, lymphocytes, and uh, it, it it was uh, initially investigated for treatment of. Uh, pretty severe uveitis, including Bichette's disease, and, and it has been shown at least potentially to be effective, but the drug uh, itself, by and large, has is, is, is been shown to be pretty so profoundly immunosuppressive that infections, I think it, the rate of infection people who are exposed to it is, is limited its widespread use and treatment of uveitis. Uh, when you asked me about CMT412, I had to uh, do a, a Medline search because I actually have never used it or heard of it being used in, in eye inflammatory diseases. And uh, that, that's an anti-CD4 molecule. And the last PubMed uh, citation I found in its use was in 1999. So uh, I think I, I may have just missed uh, the boat on that one, unless it's being used in other ways that, that I just don't know uh, about. Uh, rituximab is, is one that I do have pretty extensive experience in. And rituximab is a monoclonal antibody against uh, CD20, which is a cell surface molecule that's found on uh, all... Uh, mature B lymphocytes, or all mature and immature B lymphocytes, actually. Uh, it's a pan B cell, uh, cell surface marker. It's been FDA approved for the treatment of, well, initially it was approved for uh, the treatment of uh, B cell lymphomas, and then uh, somewhere along the way someone realized that uh, the, pa- the patient that was treated for, for their lymphoma had a remarkable improvement in their uh, arthritis as well, so they they, they uh, trialed it for the treatment of uh, rheumatoid arthritis, I believe specifically that was refractory to TNF blockers and found it to be effective. And it's also been shown to be effective in lupus. And so, uh, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus are two diseases that are not associated with uveitis commonly, but are associated with scleritis. And so uh, as a result of those initial findings, my center is currently conducting a, uh, an open, well, it's an open-label clinical trial, but it's dose-ranging uh, and randomized, uh, comparing two doses of rituximab for the treatment of scleritis. So we're, uh, you know, we, we've certainly had some uh, initial successes uh, in, in the study as well as some failures, and uh, we've we discussed some of those findings at Arvo last year, and we'll we'll be updating the 
uh, results at Arvo again this year. But uh, we're, we're looking forward to continuing to treat scleritis patients with rituximab. There's been some limited experience in using it for uveitis as well. Uh, not much more than case studies or series. And uh, uh, in addition to treating scleritis patients in our study, we're also treating patients with orbital inflammation just due to the uh, reports that, that have come out uh, preliminarily indicating that this drug may be beneficial in treatment of Graves' disease. So, so, so really, I guess, of the three uh, lymphocyte modulators you named, rituximab is one that I have the most experience with, and it's, I think a lot of people think that it's a promising target. Let's talk about biologics that target cytokines, and I guess mostly what we're talking about here is TNF. TNF blockers are, are pretty much the, the biggest player um, probably in the worldwide uh, market for, for biologics and for, for cytokine uh, modulators, certainly. Uh, you know, anybody that watches TV is, uh, in, in America uh, has probably seen commercials for uh, infliximab and for etanercept and for adalimumab, and those are all drugs that are FDA-approved for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, and, and, and they're also used for other indications. Uh, and it, it's difficult to remember which is exactly approved for which, but I know that at least some of the TNF blockers, if not all of them, are used for juvenile idiopathic arthritis and for psoriasis and for other inflammatory diseases like ankylosing spondylitis. And that's, I, I wouldn't hold that as a comprehensive list. You could uh, actually look on any of their websites uh, and very easily uh, figure out what, what the uh, full uh, FDA-approved list is, but they're also being used pretty widely off-label for other inflammatory diseases. And all three have been published, uh, have published use in uveitis as well as in other uh, ocular inflammatory diseases. That's really the, the main uh, cytokine uh, modulator that that uh, that, uh, that I talk about. Uh, the other, there, there are other many other monoclonal antibodies that are out there that, that mostly target uh, the receptors for cytokines on the T lymphocytes, uh, and I, I think we'll talk about those a little bit later. You yourself recently published a study on infliximab therapy for refractory uveitis. Can you tell me about this study? Yeah. So, so we published uh, back in 2005 a, a study in Archives of Ophthalmology, which was basically the preliminary results of our single center, j- just at, at our center at Oregon Health and Science University. Uh, a single center study it was an open-label study, so all the patients got drug, and all the patients were started on essentially the same dose. Our protocol we started uh, all patients who were on who were being started on the fluximab as monotherapy. We started them on five milligrams per kilogram, and for patients who were on other immunosuppressors, they were on three milligrams per kilogram. And, and all patients received uh, these. These were all patients with refractory uveitis who had been tried and uh, failed on both prednisone and at least one other immunosuppressive. And by tried and failed, we mean that either the, the prednisone and/or the other immunosuppressive were either ineffective or they were not tolerated by the patient. So at least one other immunosuppressive had to have been tried and failed, although many patients have tried and failed, nearly all the ones that I uh, listed earlier in terms of our sort of quote-unquote standard immunosuppressives. Those are the pe- people we enrolled, and we enrolled children from age 10 up all the way to adults. I think our oldest patient was 77. We used a composite endpoint to ascertain success, and our endpoint was comprised of four components, which were visual acuity. Patients had to have a vision improvement of at least two lines to qualify as having had their vision improve. Control of inflammation was another endpoint that was uh, utilized, although it was actually control of inflammation was required as a uh, requirement for, uh, for stating that someone was successful. So in other words, uh, you could meet all the other endpoints in the composite endpoint, but if your inflammation was poorly controlled, then you weren't considered a success for treatment on a fliximab. 
however, if your inflammation was well controlled when you entered the study, and the problem was you had cystoid macular edema, for example, limiting your vision, if the inflammation remained well controlled and your uh, vision improved, that was an endpoint that could be used. So I've already mentioned the two endpoints of vision and inflammation. The other endpoints were ability to taper corticosteroids by at least 50%, and the fourth endpoint was uh, improvement on inflammatory signs on the fluorescein angiogram or on the OCT. Patients received an infusion at zero, two, and six weeks, and then at 10 weeks, we, we repeated their vision, we repeated their uh, you know, inflammatory scoring, we repeated their fluorescein angiograms and OCTs, and we looked at how much corticosteroid they were taking or other immunosuppressors, and if they met at least one of those endpoints with the additional requirement that inflammation obviously be well-controlled, they were allowed to continue in the study. And so then after that, people got infusions every eight weeks uh, for a year, and if they were still well-controlled at a year, then they were allowed to continue to year two. People who had initial evidence of benefit on the lower dose of infliximab, who subsequently had breakthrough inflammation, were allowed to have their dose escalated up to a maximum of 10 milligrams per kilogram per infusion, and then if you flared at 10 milligrams per kilogram, you're, you're out of the study. We actually, our, our full two-year results haven't been published yet, but I've, I've just been notified in the last month that they're going to be uh, published in uh, the Archives of Ophthalmology sometime in 2009. And basically, what we, so our preliminary results were, that were in the paper from 2005 indicated that about 75 or 77% of patients uh, who received infliximab had a beneficial effect as measured at 10 weeks and that it was well tolerated. And then what, what we are publishing in the paper coming out soon in 2009 was that it was about 60% of people who had uh, beneficial effect at 10 weeks were able to continue taking it for an entire year. And some people were dropped out because of loss of FC, some people dropped out because of loss of willingness to follow up, and some people dropped out due to the side effects. And, you know, that, that, that uh, seems like a high dropout rate, but it actually is fairly consistent with data that's out there for retention time and other immunosuppressors in, in uveitis. In fact, it's probably better than uh, the retention time we get with a lot of our immunosuppressors in uveitis. People who were still in the study at one year, about 60% of them were still in the study at two years. And so we, what we're describing in the, in, the, in the paper that's coming out soon is that basically 77% of people had effect at 10 weeks, which was initial evidence of effect. So the other people we'd consider primary failures. In other words, they never had any benefit uh, from, from the therapy. And then of those who found initial benefit, we're, having about a six, we're seeing about a 60% retention per year, which is pretty good, actually. Although your study did not look at this directly, did the response to infliximab seem to vary by the etiology of the uveitis? Yeah, you know, um, we couldn't conclusively answer that, as, as you stated. Uh, but, but our impression, at least, was is that it seems that for Bichette's disease, this drug is particularly effective. And so we, we may go to a TNF blocker a little bit faster with Bichette's than we might with other drugs. You know, the reason that we don't go uh, is maybe, I think biologics are less than likely to become first-line therapy anytime soon for, for most inflammatory diseases because, for one, they're very expensive. Uh, and insurance companies are less than excited about uh, allowing them to be used for off-label indications. But, you know, the other thing is there's not a ton of long-term safety data that indicates uh, that, that, that indicates that their uh, safety data is, is it's just not known. While we're on the subject of safety, what adverse events did you observe? Well, so in our study, I'll, I'll sort of preface this by saying that we uh, noted more toxicity in our study than most investigators note in their practices and, and, and more than uh, certainly more than most published reports in, in, in ophthalmology. But, you know, of the 31 patients we enrolled, we had three patients develop something called drug-associated uh, lupus, uh, or DLE, drug, a drug-associated lupus-like 
reaction where basically patients develop a symmetric polyarthritis uh, in association with an elevated ANA. Almost all patients treated with Remicade get a positive ANA, and the, the finding of a positive ANA in and of itself is not uh, super problematic. But when you get a, a high titer elevated ANA in conjunction with a positive double-stranded DNA titer and the symmetric polyarthritis of symptoms basically indicating that uh, problem, then, then you have to stop the drug. And it's actually a relative contraindication to using other TNF blockers in the future if, if your patient gets that. And you know, 10% is certainly higher than what other people have reported. You know, with us, we had 3 out of 31. You know, our consent form in the study said that I think about 6 out of 1,600 were reported in previous studies with rheumatoid arthritis to develop this complication. So I, I think it may have been, to some extent, dumb luck, or it may be that uveitis patients are just different substantively with their pathophysiology than, than uh, rheumatoid arthritis patients are. Although I, the, the signal that we're getting from the world out there is that I think we saw perhaps an anomalously high uh, signal on that particular side effect. We also had two patients develop pulmonary emboli while in the study, uh, there's been some that have supposed that there may be a prothrombotic effect of uh, TNF blockers, although that's not been conclusively shown. At least one of our patients had a pretty uh, solid other reason to have a, a, a pulmonary embolism. She was a 400-pound person who had a prior history of DVTs, so, uh, so you, not, I'm not sure you could blame it on that patient on the drug. Uh, we had one patient uh, who uh, had a myocardial infarction while in the study, although, again, that, this was a patient who had pre-existing 95% left anterior descending coronary artery stenosis, so uh, it was problematic to assign that uh, toxicity to the drug. You know, we had patients who developed infections, uh, and, you know, there is, there's been a meta-analysis published about all TNF blockers, or specifically about uh, infliximab and adalimumab that indicates that uh, at least in rheumatoid arthritis patients, there may be as much as a triple increase in uh, malignancies with, with TNF blockers and a double risk uh, of serious infections when compared to rheumatoid arthritis patients who are treated with methotrexate alone. Uh, and we, we tell our patients about those, about, about those risks and those are things that require vigilance. And as I tell our residents when I lecture about the biologics, sometimes it's not nice to fool with Mother Nature and sometimes uh, these drugs can have really surprising and uh, you know, severe side effects, even though they're relatively low on uh, side effects that the, that the patient actually notices. So we, so we use them cautiously. We'll end today's podcast here. You can listen to the second part of this interview next time. Eric Suler is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Co-Director of the Uveitis Clinic at the Casey Eye Institute of the Argon Health and Science University and Chief of Ophthalmology at the Portland Veterans Administration Medical Center in Portland, Oregon. His paper, a prospective trial of infliximab therapy for refractory uveitis, preliminary safety and efficacy outcomes, appears in the July 2005 issue of Archives of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Suler or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.